0: Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual and philosophical discourse goes to live. Because in Jeff's World, we never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners and fight until the bitterness ends. And now here's your host recovering hope addict, and paid
1: volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Still recovering. It's the renaissance, you guys. What does that mean? You've heard me say this before. This is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. Historians will look back on this time and go well. One, they'll say, "Wow, so much change occurred so fast, and so much growth among humanity." And they'll also go, "How did those people at that time not realize what was going on?" Because <laughs> we don't always see it. I don't uh, know.
2: It feels like a, I, I heard this phrase um, that the African American community uses: "Beautiful struggle."
1: <laughs> feels
2: feels like we're in the struggle. Yeah, but I'm but I'm glad you have struggle. this. This bigger point of view that, you know, no, look at where it's going.
1: <laughs> that's Erica Ferriston, and uh, she is with me here today. Uh, Jeff Hendrick is not. He's still in the healing process to end his era of lumpy the tumor, and his white blood cell numbers have seemed to have been rebounding. So that's really excellent news. We look forward to him returning. And uh, Erica, if you don't know, if you're new to the show, she's Quite possibly the most passionate democracy nerd that I've ever experienced. And uh, I love when she'll, she'll text me where she's at at some <laughs> event or another. She'll go, Look, I just knelt with my friend during the Pledge of Allegiance in honor of uh, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I'm like, That is so awesome.
2: Okay, well, that makes it sound like I'm bragging. <laughs> but um, when no, you're gonna... telling your friend
1: Jeff <laughs> the awesomeness of you. <laughs>
2: Well, listen, when Jeff says uh, nerd, he yeah, we are, I'm a total nerd. <laughs> I mean, so we were at, uh, when I say we, I mean me and fellow delegates were at the Los Angeles County Democratic Party meeting. I know it's a lot of words, but it's a huge Democratic yeah. Party. Um, you know, it's got 200 members. They all show up. And um, I think it's the biggest Democratic club in the country. Of course. But um, yeah, and Katrina and I are rewriting the lyrics to Hamilton's Right Hand Man um, to talk about single <laughs> Bill 562, single payer health Yeah,
1: because she's going to rewrite the song. We are
2: total nerds. She's going to get a bunch of singers
1: and go out in front of the Hamilton showings and sing the song.
2: That's my That's one hope. Of the hopes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we are going to be out there this Sunday I with. I've Flyers, ordered
1: probably,
2: right? we've ordered a uh, tricorn colonial of hats. course you have <laughs> and then we're going to be wearing red SB562 t-shirts and we're at least going to be calling on people to join the healthcare revolution and we're going to give them calls to action I don't think the song will be ready by then but um,
1: maybe fun fact about Hamilton uh, an immigrant
2: Absolutely, right. uh, and, from uh, the Caribbean islands. That's
1: right, from the Caribbean islands. What's yes. the, what there's left of the Caribbean islands.
2: Also, biracial. Yep. His father was uh, from Scotland, and his mother was from the islands.
1: Yep. So, gosh, we shouldn't let him in. Yeah. <laughs> that I was a big not. mistake, clearly. We didn't need somebody to actually be the founding father. Anyway, uh, Jeff Hanger, Eric Ferriston, you hear she's here. Uh, Juan Velasquez is helping us. He's doing the production here. Yay! Yay, Juan! <laughs> Saving our butts from having to screw it up. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I, I mentioned the whole renaissance thing at the top of the show, and I think it's important because I, I want everyone to see it. You know, we're experiencing this, and it's you can really get caught up in it. If, you've, if you're watching the news and it feels more anxious than fascinating or exciting. Take my advice. Do the one thing that you must do if you love watching society and politics. And that is to look at it with broad view, to step back, look at the long game. It's the only way you'll be able to keep your sanity. And that's what we try to do here for one thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So true. Because I mean, even take politics out of it in your daily lives, you know, I mean, if you get caught up in, all the to dos that are left to do and you haven't done and what went wrong, it's you're in overwhelm, you're in frustration. Yeah. And if you keep, you know, your big picture of, okay, you know, am I healthy? Are my bills paid? Yeah. Um Are we
1: headed the right direction over Well you know, then Is it's like you better. Can, you
2: comp, you can get yeah. centered you can move forward with what you have to move forward with and you can still enjoy what yeah. is to be enjoyed like the beautiful day it is today. Yeah. But, you know, once you go into the future, it's it's more than likely unless you're Jeff Stein and you are so <laughs> schooled, Annoyingly positive. Um, you know, that tends to lead toward fear and, and getting like, you know, this person did this and I can't believe that person did this and said this. Like mm, back away from that, and and you know what's working. What do you have to do? But okay, I digress. Go no, ahead. that's the perfect Goes digression.
1: And I, and I love the way you related it to our personal lives too, because it's the same. If you're gonna look at the news, you're gonna look at your world. Uh, you know, apply that same lens, because if you're in your anxi- anxiety in your personal life will, will will bleed over into the other, and the other will bleed over. Well, and I think uh, that's
2: know. one of our intentions for this show, yes. right? Is to you know, help ourselves and help others, you know, to grow and to learn and expand in the loving through this, lens of politics, and you do it so beautifully, Jeff Thank you.
1: More inspiration than desperation is what we try, but we also are okay with the raw emotions of it. You will hear if if you're new to the show, uh, we get emotional and we get upset, Uh, but that's part of it, too. That's the relief of where we need to be. Uh, uh, Sometimes that is the case. So uh, today on Jeff's World, the lessons and heroism of Irma, including a, a nun with a chainsaw, uh, that's just cool. That's
2: well, scary, having right? been to Catholic school. <laughs> I mean, a, a nun with a ruler is terrifying. <laughs> right? I can't imagine a chainsaw.
1: Right. Uh, also, one of the biggest reasons why people deny climate change—that you might have forgotten—it's not the usual reasons. Not was just money. Uh, the latest in our emergence from America's original sin of racism. Uh, the Russia plot thickens, and Facebook is finally being forced to admit their part. News on health care for all. Some news stories there. A lesson uh, is not automatically... We're going to talk about a lesson in not automatically hating what your enemy says. Mm. It's easy for us to go, oh, that person's my enemy. I hate them automatically. And we're going to do that through the lens of Betsy DeVos. Interesting. Uh, Also, the happiest states in America. Ted Cruz's porn name... Ballroom jeans, Obama surprises a classroom, good news about income, education, and maybe even some good news about airline seating. Very excited about that. And uh, what Game of Thrones and Taylor Swift have in common. That will all be uh, today, so on hmm. the show. Uh, also, I want to get into the idea of hyper-partisanship, right? Because everything has been so—that has been one problem is the tribalism. I remember that survey that they had where they asked— do you, are you afraid of what the other party will do to you? And it was amazing that over half of Republicans and Democrats were literally afraid of the other party.
2: So the solution is more parties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm going to answer what there is a solution. I believe there's a solution. That and where we're going. That is when we go come back to Jeff's world. You're listening to Jeff's World. This is the place where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein, along with Erica Ferriston. Juan Velasquez here is putting the show together. Uh, Jeff Hendrick, uh, chilling out, trying to heal up so that he can bring his feisty self back to the studio eventually. So, woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. uh, You know, again, with the hyper-partisanship, I thought to myself, because I love, you know, when you get your step back, broad view. And sometimes you discover that the answer is happening and you didn't even notice it because you're still in the thick of the battle, right? And I thought, well, what would be the best thing that could happen for this tribalism that we've been struggling with? And I thought, imagine a circumstance where the two parties were forced <laughs> to make deals with each other. They had no other choice but to try to find a way for each side to get enough of what they, f- what they want to feel like it's a win and not too much for the other sides to feel like they're suckers, right? And that... Seems to be happening right now, because in federal level, congressional level, uh, the Democrats are now the biggest voting block in Congress. And you say, well, how is that possible? The Republicans are in the majority. I know, but they don't have a voting block. They're so disparate. You've got the Tea Partiers or whatever the the, the uh, Freedom Caucus, right? Who's about fifty to seventy-five members who will not agree with anything unless it's obviously the most uh, you know conservative of values, right? And then you got the Tuesday Group, which is your moderate Republicans, three of which just retired, by the way, because they know they're going to get killed in 2018. So that's already falling apart. And they almost never agree with the other side. And they're a group of good 25, 35, 40 there, too. So they don't even have close to the kind of majority they would need in the House. And the Senate is a similar circumstance. It's just not quite so out in the open, but it's there. Whereas the Democrats, oddly enough, are really unified right now and unifying faster. And so... This was evidenced partially in the Donald Trump quick deal to uh, where he shut down Ryan and McConnell, and as a retribution, as my Trump supporter friends tried to argue with me, but uh, he tweeted out right afterwards, said, "This is because you guys didn't make me look good on health care and whatever." Mm -hmm. So he did deals. So he made it clear that this was a retribution, revenge, you know, whatever. You're such a good quality to
2: have in a leader. Yes,
1: it is one that
2: seeks retribution.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's that's our guy. Uh, and that's the way. And if you saw the Steve Bannon 60 Minutes interview, boy, that explains a lot. Things too, we might play a couple of clips from there. But so Donald Trump even was, you know, not only was he kind of, again, punishing the Republicans for not giving him his wins. He got with the one voting block that you can kind of count on to work with. Well, they can't get anything right through right now. They're going to do tax Is taxes next, right? Tax reform is supposed to be up on the docket next, right? They cannot, there is not a tax bill that all of the Republicans could agree on. It is not possible. And even this hurricane relief, all this stuff, there wasn't anything they could agree on. DACA. Right now, as we speak, Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi are meeting to discuss what to do with DACA. They are forced to work with each other.
2: DACA is interesting because I was, you know, pretty emotional when... you know, when he rescinded, when Donald Trump rescinded DACA and Jeff she- Jeff Sessions came out in the middle of the a hurricane, hurricane yeah, in Texas, Harvey. Hurricane Ugh. Harvey. And it's just was particularly cruel. But I've been listening to lots of different, you know, political outlets and um, some people that I really respect have kind of put out there in some sense, and I, I don't want to downplay it. this is why I was hesitating. Okay. But don't, like, in a sense, don't worry about this one. This one really isn't going to go through because on the Republican side, you have big business that relies on undocumented workers for their cheap labor. Now, I'm not happy that big business is taking advantage of, you know, people in these situations but go ahead no
1: it's partially cheap labor but it's also i'm in defense of conservatives here It's, uh, it's also partially because in order for the economy to grow and sustain you need a constant flow of less skilled workers and so whether they're legal immigrants or illegal immigrants, you just don't want to stop that flow. That's their one of the big contentions, and of course, DACA is an example of folks who were kids who have Children. worked the system. They've had kim- criminal background checks. They're great. The
2: median age of the of all of these DACA kids and when they came over here was six years old. Right, and you know it's <laughs> so you had like what the week before you had Trump pardoning uh, Sheriff Arapayo who was. <laughs> Convicted. Yeah. Convicted of crimes. And he pardoned him. And, and then a week later, you know, uh, talking about how we have to get rid of these children who've been convicted of nothing.
1: Yeah, who have background checks on their criminal record. Absolutely. And have had to be proven to be upstanding.
2: These are upstanding yeah. members of our society. Right. So wow. he pardons one that's been convicted. Right. And I mean, it's,
1: of um, not of breaking the rules, of, of ignoring judicial review and court orders, and uh, he was convicted yeah.
2: in the court a court of law. Yeah,
1: yeah. And but he he's pardoned okay. him. He's okay. Let's keep him.
2: But these children yeah. who are, you know, doing, you know, like I we said, you know, they're upstanding members. I was listening to an interview of one young girl, um, and she said. Um, She was so relieved with DACA because she said something like, you know, I can do what every child can do now for their parents. I can take my parents to the doctor's office. I can help them, you know, get their documents. I can, and it's, you know, I can get them to work because she could get a driver's license was right, the point right. and because she could move without being in the shadows.
1: Yeah. we. If you were born here and you don't have to worry about that, you don't, you just don't have any concept of the mechanisms of life that are intertwined in your citizenship. She can you get a better it.
2: job. And yeah. she said to help, you know, pay for her family. And it's yeah. like, and I'm thinking to myself, Okay, well, I don't think most American kids are, you know, looking forward to turn 16 to get their driver's license to take their parents to the doctor's office or to their jobs. But here was this, you know, young DACA girl. And, um, yeah, so it's it's very sad. But... I do feel, and then seeing, uh, you know, these two leaders working together, I do feel that this is one, hopefully, that will not be rescinded. But do you think I'm being too optimistic on that?
1: Um, I, I'm actually pretty optimistic about where In- DACA will go. I think that they're going to do the right thing, ultimately. I don't think it's going to be ending. It's as, it's as you're asking. I, I think... I it, mean, even
2: like, okay, like we know how much conservatives say they they like saving our country money, although they're always the ones that spend it and the Democrats end up balancing yeah, the since books. Since Reagan they have been, yeah. But... Um, how I mean, what it would cost? Even how are they going to transport no. these millions of people out of the country?
1: And and I don't think even even Trump was surprised by it. I, he sat around. He talked to Steve Bannon. He talked to Jeff Sessions, and they said, "No, this is awesome. Trust us." And he went, "Sure. I'm a bit of a racist. Why not?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm putting obviously a harsh judgment. I'm, but you can no, see I,
2: after. I don't think he's a bit. But
1: go anyway, ahead. after it happened, his reactions on the tweet or Twitterverse were just like obviously of a guy of like, oh. That's that's what it was. That's what it did. Oh, that doesn't seem very popular. And of course, what he cares about it is it being popular. But I agree. I think that I think that uh, Pelosi and Ryan are going to work something out.
2: How bizarre was, you know, his speech about I, I love you guys.
1: We're going to destroy
2: your lives. Right. Kick you out of the only country you've ever known. But I I love you
1: because you just beautifully identified the narcissism. It's like he he, he will not admit that he just made a mistake that was cruel. So instead, he tries to make up for it by going, I love you guys. Trust uh, well, me, I love you guys. we don't need love like that. No, we need you to love your, with Jeff your policy. And Jeff Sessions,
2: when he announces it, he, he says, it. Uh, uh, don't take it personally.
1: Yeah, don't take it personally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't take it personally. <laughs> but that you're ugly. You know, it's like, don't take
1: it personally, but you're really ugly.
2: <laughs> going to take you out of everything you yeah. know.
1: Yeah. So... The point is, again, as I go, we are in this circumstance where nothing will get through Congress without Democrats right now. And that is forcing. Bipartisanship. And it may be the end of Paul Ryan. It may be the end of a number of different people because the far right, for instance, is absolutely just fuming, not only in the deals he's not making that Trump went around him, but the fact that he he can't get anything through and he has to use Democrats. And, of course, they don't want to—the far right doesn't want to use Democrats for anything ever, ever, ever. So either either they're going to use—it's just math. It's pure math. They're either going to be bipartisan to get stuff done, like tax reform, etc., or uh, they will just get nothing done, as they've gotten nothing done the entire first part of this term, and then go into 2018 with nothing done But what it all.
2: Okay, so what are they trying to get done? I mean, rescinding DACA, uh, giving more money to the wealthy, taking it from the poor...
1: Well, they want to lower taxes, of course, with the tax reform, right? But they're not going to do it that. But lower it for who? Exactly. The top
2: 1%. Yeah,
1: that's right. But not they,
2: not for working Americans. But they can't do
1: it without borrowing, and they won't get through with it that way. Because not only will no Democrat vote for putting money on the credit card to give taxes to rich people, but neither will about 25 to 35 Republicans in the, in the House. They won't either. And so they just can't simply move it. There's no numbers. So
2: part of me feels like this is a false... Uh, Optimistic conversation we're having because <laughs> okay. we're talking about oh it's going to be so great that there's going to be bipartisanship and the t- no wait 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 Go. but it, I I you want to talk about real representation of people and and true negotiations and compromising I, I don't think that can exist with just two parties yeah I, I mean I when you, you look, mean. look over at the UK how much that they have to consider yeah. Their citizenry because of their many members of parliament rather than just a yeah. Democrat and a Republican. So even though I said the answer is more parties, yeah. I meant it.
1: Well, we have to start by working together and with the are two fun. parties. Yeah. You can start throwing are. them you at your home.
2: Your I think Stein has one every Friday night. I, know,
1: I do And imagine this new world that you got all the different party names you could come up with if you just kept everyone at their own party. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. Uh, but another thing that's an example of this is, is I love this headline on The Washington Post. We love The Washington Post. The dam is breaking on Democrats' embrace of single payer. We have Bernie Sanders rolling it out today. Woo, Bernie! Medicare for all is the angle they're going with, which is very easy for everyone to understand. People know Medicare, they get Medicare. And it wouldn't just be Medicare for all, because for those who are on Medicare, like my mom's on Medicare, and she goes, we got this copay, that copay. They, no, This would be a vastly expanded Medicare. Yeah,
2: Medicare right now covers about 80%. So there's still that 20% that people on Medicare have to pay. Yeah, this, this would be the full Medicare. is improved and expanded Medicare yeah. for all.
1: And, non- and co-signers include Cory Booker, Kristen Gill- just Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Patrick Leahy, Sheldon Whitehouse, Jeff Merkley, Ed Markey, Martin Heinrich, Tom Udall, Brian Schatz, Marie- Maisie Hirono. Uh, Richard Blumenthal and Tammy Baldwin all on board now. So
2: this is the third time Senator Sanders has introduced Medicare for All. The previous two times, guess how many co-signers he had.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Zero. Zero.
2: So this is to me. So he has a total of fifteen co-signers, which to me, as a delegate to the Democrat Party, I think is pathetic. <laughs> but
1: this is how it starts from though.
2: zero to fifteen in two weeks. And the two times before have never getting one, uh, you know, sponsor of this. I, you know, okay, I've got it. It's trending positive. Yep. So happy about that. And I, I have so much more I can say on this topic, but I, am gonna let you go. Well, we're gonna Stein.
1: continue on This one's not over yet. But I wanted to uh, throw in a couple little fun facts too. At a uh, at a, the Wells Fargo Healthcare Conference in Boston. That sounds like a, a, a drain the swampy kind of place, right? The chief executive of Allergan, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest pharmaceuticals, Allergan. Allergan, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, I think we've got to do things to bring back the trust because ultimately someone's going to be in the White House, somebody's going to be in the Congress, somewhere's going to be somewhere and going to have to say, enough's enough. Let's change the whole system. Let's go to one payer. Let's do something. So if you didn't get from that quote, you have got a bunch of, you've got a CEO of a pharmaceutical who's going, holy crap. They're gonna flip to single payer. America is gonna get tired or tired of the RBS if we don't get the trust back and do something good for people fast.
2: Okay, let me come in with a quick quote from Bernie Sanders. He yeah. says, "This is a pivotal moment in American history. Yes. Do we, as a nation, join the rest of the industrialized world and guarantee comprehensive health care to every person as a human right?" Or do we maintain a system that is enormously expensive, wasteful, and bureaucratic and is designed to maximize profits for big insurance companies, the pharmaceutical industries, Wall Street, and medical equipment suppliers? That's the question to ask yourselves.
1: Boom. And it's happening. And this is where you look at view and broad view. This is a certainty. We've said this before in this show single payer will happen because everything else falls of its weight. And also, it's already been proven to be effective everywhere. It is going to happen. So enjoy it, watch it. The tide is turning. When we come back, Irma and a part about climate change that will surprise you when we return to Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. This is where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture are seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and occasionally punchlines. We need Jeff Hendrick more for that. <laughs> but uh, But there you go. <laughs> we try to have a little fun anyway. Uh, I'm here with Erica Periston. Uh, Juan Velasquez is running, running the show. Erica is uh, a Floridian, and uh, we have to change gears because once you get her started on single-payer public oh. health care, Yes, it's like a, a public it's like a little single little democracy system. gasm for the girl. It just, it just <laughs> absolutely turns her on. Oh my god! Me gosh. too, though. I mean, uh, go, let's go let's there for just a second. Let's not get started because right? I can get all hot and bothered.
2: <laughs> then I'm going to have to cool down with some Irma talk.
1: <laughs> her tumescence is too high. <laughs> uh, there's a word for you. Look it up. And uh, single payer. Yeah, oh. no. And it, it,
2: it,
1: it, don't underestimate the value. And this is one of the reasons why I know it because in other countries where that exists, not only is there the the vastly obvious financial benefit, but the one thing that isn't talked about much is what it does to your consciousness. When you don't feel like a diagnosis could destroy everything uh, other than besides your health, which is enough of a destruction and in other countries, you know, I have my Canadian friends for sure. They always like, yeah, we just, that that is very calming to know that you break your leg, you're like, okay.
2: We are the only country yeah. where people declare medical bankruptcy. Right. We're the only one. Yeah. Somebody gets, and most, um, you know, most bankruptcies are due to medical bills and you're seeing more and more, uh, people becoming homeless due to medical bills yeah. you know the the breadwinner gets a brain tumor and it wipes them out
1: and you may notice that on a side note there one of the things obama did with the consumer financial protection bureau uh and the dodd frank was to make it so that if you didn't pay a medical bill it didn't go on against your credit rating and that was a big deal. That changed lives alone. That simple financial thing, because obviously, not only were they bankrupt, but they, their credit was destroyed. But now, as you've probably noticed, if you have medical bills, they can send you a medical bill for the rest of their life, and it absolutely has no effect on your credit, because uh, that's that's the protection they put in. Of course, the Republicans are trying to dismantle that, but hopefully, it'll stay. Well,
2: so just I, I've got a little bit here, and then I promise after I'll be done Geek with. Out. Okay. So uh, Jonathan Uh Tassini, he um, has a podcast called, I think it's called the Working Life Podcast. You can check it out. It's a great podcast. But he put out these five points about, you know, talking about um, what this means. that Bernie Sanders coming out with this Medicare for All bill. And I'm just going to basically read them. So he says, and I love you, Jonathan Tassini, for saying this. He says, this is why... Democratic primaries matter and are good. Yeah. Love you, Tassini. Um, And then he says, I guess this is why the 2016 Democratic primary was a t- terrific thing. Um, without that primary, Medicare for all, the uh, idea that millions of people would have what everyone has around the world would not be in the conversation. That's correct.
1: Without Bernie and so, the, yeah, mm-hmm. So
2: that's. Because of a democratic primary, so then he says for Republicans, this is fundamentally about good economics, and thus every business should be for single payer, public single payer. I'm going to add as I, as so he w- he pointed out um, in a CNN column, he says if you really believe in efficient use of economic resources, you embrace single payer for its savings to the GDP of the nation. Yeah resources companies can invest in wages, research and development, and other productive pursuits. Um, otherwise, you are just parroting empty slogans about government takeover of healthcare. Yeah. So love that. And then he says, for my progressive allies, acknowledge that moving the country to single payer isn't as simple as a slogan or just flipping a switch. It will take a lot of filling in the blanks. Um, and then he says, There is support for single-payer much broader than just progressive Democrats. Um, I think there is more support, now I'm off of his thing, but I believe there is more support for single-payer than there was for the ACA. (laughs) and that there was for saving the ACA. Wow. So listen up, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Yeah. You think you got a lot of support for saving the ACA, which is because they have not signed on to Bernie's bill, and that's our Democrat leadership. Get on board, because this has more support. 70% of Nancy Pelosi's constituents support Uh, Medicare for all they support Bernie Sanders bill they support John Conyers bill they support uh, SB 562 which is what we have here in California which is basically Medicare for all and then the last point that Tassini makes is movements are built on the shoulders of others and he talks about how Representative John Conyers uh, pathbreaking bill, H.R. 676, um, began in the 1990s. Yeah. And so we're building on it. And, and also what I want to say to those uh, corporate Democrats like Pelosi and Schumer, if you really want to save the ACA, you do that by supporting this bill because it expands on what the ACA can do. It takes insurance companies out of the middle and that is what is going to give health care for the people so yeah thank you for giving me the time on that gosh
1: well you know it's inevitability and it will happen and then we will continue to watch it obviously as you can see how much passion in the room is about it so as as every development happens you're going to hear it on Jeff's World uh-huh. <laughs> that is for sure because we're going to watch this reality show unfold so back in Florida uh, your home state yes the first of all there's been a lot of comedy I got to give them credit uh because people build put up the, before the storm they put up the the plywood on their windows and things and people would spray paint some pretty funny ones one had uh I saw a couple of them play, Thanks, Oberma. Like it was Obama, but it was Oberma. Oh, they try to make a thing like, thanks. Another one, it must have been Oberma's fault, which obviously oh, is gosh. satire, right? But my favorite one, you can kind of see it as you look at the screen, is from the old start line, thing. Irma Gerd. Irma Gerd. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Irma Gerd. <laughs> That's funny, right? That's funny. <laughs> so I, I love that they can keep their sense of humor because <laughs> although they really need their sense of humor is probably in the U.S. Virgin Islands, they the kind of overlooks thing. If you haven't watched the news, you just put a little prayer extra for them because literally in the in the island of St. John, no wood structures remain intact. The only thing that's still up are things made out of cement or stone. Nothing made of wood exists, period, on the entire island. I have uh. some friends on Martin and uh, they're not sure, you know, that they're ever, they already got taken off. They're not sure if they're going to come back, how that's going to work. It seems to be kind of dead. Uh, in Florida... Right now, of course, they're undergoing the single biggest effort to restore power in American history. You know, seven million. And you probably know. Well, it. let's
2: talk a little bit about. So it's uh, um, 13 million people have been left without power. Phew. So this has been going on for several days. So. Um, so my all, all of my family now live in Polk County, okay. which is central Florida. So they were between Tampa and and orlando right and Ur- and irma w- was going right up the middle of the state oh, okay. now by the time it so they were really braced so i've got my mom my brother his family i've got my dad i've got my uncle i've got my cousin so they're all living in this same county and um By the time it did reach where my family lives, it was, it was down to a category one. Mm. So, um, they had, they had winds of 75 miles an hour. Right. Um, but it was still, I mean, it was still pretty damaging, obviously. Um... But the interesting thing about power that my dad was making the point to me before the storm hit, he said, we're, we're going to be without power for a while. And he said, the problem is, he says, you've got people uh, in neighboring states, including Florida. He's like, they've all gone to Texas. right? They've all gone to Texas to and go Louisiana Texas. to help them. Oh, and he's like, my God. so we don't we can't even call on. He's like in the past. You know, you, you usually don't have enough in your own state to restore power, so you call on neighboring states right. to come down and help. He's like, so we're already low in that resource. Wow. So very interesting. And,
1: and the ones are on generators, it's hard to get gas there. Most of the, a lot well, of gas stations are Well, out closed. of
2: all of my family, my uncle is the only one that has a generator. Huh. So he's been doing fine. But my dad packed up his food and said, you know, it can last... Maybe a couple of days, but and then he'll take it over to my uncle's house. But wow, more to come when we Yeah,
1: we're going to talk more about that. And was also, again, this idea about climate change deniers. And one of the parts of that, the reasonings that uh, may have surprised you, may have forgotten, that's going to be part of it as well as discussion as we go into Irma some more here on Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. This is where we feel our way to a saner future, because life's about how it feels. I know that sounds all mushy and gushy, but that's really politics, does. too.
2: Because <laughs> I mean, then I want to say, but feelings aren't facts.
1: No, they aren't facts, but uh, <laughs> they are And
2: feelings come and feelings go. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, they I just do. totally skewered no, it. No, it's
1: beautiful. Uh, it's true, Matthew No, the, 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 the only thing I would counter with is the truth, which is that the only reason we want anything in life is because we believe that we will feel better when we have it, and so facts or otherwise don't matter. Uh, what matters is is what's it gonna what's that what what's your facts gonna do for how I feel. See so it all still comes back. Around. All
2: that's in my head right now is, did you grow up with that album, "Free to Be You and Me"? No, what is that? Ah! Ah! Oh my God! <laughs> my childhood is ruined. To- <laughs> Let, get your mother on the line. All right. All right. So, um, <laughs> her- her- "Free to heard- Be You and Me" was like a like a record album. Okay. Remember those? Yeah. And um, oh, who is Merv Griffin's wife? No, Uh no, no, not Merv Griffin's wife. Anyway, I'm totally... um, (laughs) Okay,
1: blanking. Anyway. Phil Donahue's wife. Phil Donahue's wife. Oh, Marlo Thomas.
2: Marlo Thomas. Marlo Thomas. It's Marlo Thomas and Friends. Okay. But there's a song that's sung by a an, an, an former NFL football player and it's about <laughs> he's teaching a little boy that it's all right to cry oh that's cool. so I know our listeners but it's like it's all right to cry and he's like feelings come and feelings go and he's oh, like
1: oh that's great
2: mad and lumpy mean and happy. I mean it's like and it's it's so nice that it's like you know just kind of like go with it, it yeah. they'll come they'll go it's all right to cry get it out
1: there's an example of evolution, though. You just pointed out again, long view, broad view. There was a time when we had to help men understand that it was okay to cry. Uh, because still I was like the last generation, sort of, that was sort of raised with this idea of you don't show your emotions. Well,
2: that's because your mom didn't get you the album, Free uh, to Be You clearly. and Me.
1: I needed more Marlo Thomas in my yeah, life. Yeah! I had lots it's of Phil Donahue, awesome. though. awesome! Okay, so... <laughs> Sounds awesome to me. Uh, this is Irma. We're still dealing with the the, um, the other thing about the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, or the Keys got whacked. The Florida Keys, of course, twenty five percent of homes destroyed out there, and they it it is obviously very bad. And now we're in the aftermath. And the subject of climate change, of course, comes up. I got a hilarious kick. Everybody got to troll Pruitt when he said, this is not the time to talk about climate change. Seth yes, Me- it is. Yes, it is. Seth Myers had the greatest joke. It's like, that's like saying you just drunk crashed your car as a drunk driver, and you look at the officer and say, this is not a time to talk about my drinking. I love it. That's it's a like,
2: perfect that analogy? analogy.
1: It's like, this is why we're here, okay? So we have to talk about it. And it is being talked about, fortunately. And I fought, watched this fascinating thing on with Chris Hayes on MSNBC where he, he talked to a Republican uh, officer in the, in the Republican Party there in Florida. And she was really candid. First of all, she said, I don't understand why the other folks in my party don't see that climate change is quite obvious. If you live in Florida, she's like, if you live in Florida, it's hard to imagine that climate change isn't real you know, because they're experiencing it firsthand. Surprise, surprise. But she brought up another point. Well, first of all, she had the funny joke that I wanted to see if you related to as a Floridian. She says, Florida was built on two things, flood control and air conditioning. Uh Totally. Right?
2: You would have no... No inhabitants without the air conditioning. Yeah, <sighs> very little.
1: And and curious guy that I am, broad view. I was looking and I say, well, let me I, you know flip through the old pictures that Al Gore and company put up of what Florida will look like by 2025, 2050, 2100. How much of it will be missing, right? And then I just for because I'm a weird geek this way. I looked up uh, elevations of towns in Florida, uh, like for instance Tampa or it was Tampa and Orlando, pretty high. Like at 60 or 80 feet is their elevation mm-hmm. of their city center. Whereas Miami, 6.5 feet. They had to put the 0.5 in so they get the extra half a foot. But, but that is just unimaginable. And if a sea rises even two, three, four, five feet, it doesn't matter. You're already under, right? Mm-hmm. And the flood control is never going to be enough. And so this lady, this Republican officer, pointed out something that I had forgotten about with the climate change denier. This is an existential threat to Florida. If you allow it to be true, if you allow it to come into the consciousness and the knowing of the average Joe, that Florida is gone in 50 years. The the good, the first 20, 30, 40 miles of coast, depending upon where you are, are gone. Uh, that would destroy. Right now, destroy the Florida economy. So all the folks there's like, oh, well, their property values would go in the toilet, economies would go in the toilet. You couldn't get a business to open up there for a permanent sense because they look at it like, well, why would I open a business? This state's going away. And so this is one of the few examples of someone's being a climate change denier, which I sort of understand because you're literally yeah, in Florida at a place yourself, that's going away. Okay,
2: but who who's maintaining that? Who who's who benefits from n- stopping all discussions on climate change With because, uh, you know, it's this threat that's going to ruin businesses yeah. and property? Because you know what's going to happen? Uh, just like Equifax, you see, <sighs> the people with money will sell off when they know the ship is sinking. And you know who's going to be left there? Yeah. The, the people who can't afford to do that. So, by, so you're putting masses of people in harm's way in what, a very close span of only 50 years by refusing to have a difficult conversation. Well said. Um, because if you have this difficult conversation, there are things that can be done to uh, prepare the state, I wonder the official that you said that admitted to climate change. Do you know what part of state of Florida she represents? Was it Miami?
1: You're Southern Florida. Okay, yeah, down there.
2: You know who's who who believes in climate change in all of Florida? Miami.
1: Of course. The
2: government of Miami. Did you know that they are, they have already been taking to account climate change in their infrastructure? They know it. See, that doesn't surprise me that she's from Miami. Yeah. They, when they think of rebuilding or future building, kind of like here in California, we have all of our... You know, green things, like if you...
1: We're super earthquake ready, for instance. Well,
2: or even if, like, you replace an old toilet, you have to replace it with a low-flow low flow toilet. Yeah. Yeah. So in Miami, they're doing things, you know, like, with that respect, but, but you know, how Building it fits codes, their climate. Yeah, and such. To take into account, like, right. storms and flooding and yeah. surges and all that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's... I don't have any sympathy of, well... You know, we can't we can't talk about this because business will be hurt. It's like, you know what? Yes. And that is a harsh reality. And we still have to deal with harsh realities because in the end, I put people first because that's what progressives do. People come first.
1: Uh, That's the thing. That's a little mantra that uh, Eric and I have. We believe the government is the art of believing, demonstrating and legislating that people matter. And that is the point she's making. And boy, that is the best point with the the climate change. I was reading about a town called Chokoloski, 359 residents, an hour's drive from Naples, one of the islands. It's an island out there. And it's the exact story you're just talking about. These folks live off a local economy in trailer parks. They don't their median income is probably in the 30 somethings. And they are all without a house now. And if folks hadn't been in such dramatic denial of climate change, city planners would have been in a position to say, hey, we got to do something about this, folks. This this, this is not going to exist. These islands are not going to be inhabitable.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, disasters are they're called disasters for a reason and, and, you know, terrible things happen. Um, One of the hardest hit um, Caribbean islands was Cuba. Yes. When Irma hit Cuba, the the storm was at a Category 5. Yeah. Okay? And um, 10 people died. Yeah. And for Cuba, that's a lot. It's it's the deadliest hurricane since uh, 2005 when 16 people died in Hurricane Dennis. Yeah. Now, they are really bemoaning the fact that they lost 10 people. For them, that's a tragedy. Sure. But... So, this is what's very interesting. Cuba has long been viewed as a world leader in, hur- in hurricane preparedness and recovery. Yeah, that's right. And according to the Center for International Policy, a person is 15 times as likely to be killed by a hurricane in the United States as in Cuba. Yeah. Now, how can this be? So, oh, and also just want to point out that Cuba has already sent more than 750 doctors and health workers to Antigua, Barbuda, St. Kitts, Nevis, St. Lucia, oh, the Bahamas. That's great dominica and haiti already done that when they themselves have been yeah you know disastrously hit they had uh in havana they had waves coming up over the seawall reaching it says about 32 feet now you just talked about sea levels in florida this was 32 feet over the seawall they said that some people were up to their shoulders Right. In water, so they evacuated over a million people. Jeez. Cuba, wow, did this? Wow, evacuated over a million people, and it says even though their infrastructure is poor, their focus has been and is always on saving lives. So here are some of the things that Cuba does that we can learn from. So they have all their neighborhoods mapped. They have a mapping system, and they know. Uh, exactly where the vulnerable people live. They know Mm -hmm. where the elderly live. They know where the disabled live. Um, A couple of days before the hurricane hits, they evacuate um, elderly uh, people, those that are disabled, pregnant women. They put them all in hospitals. Mm. Um, They also, they have a culture where they teach their children about preparedness from an early age on. And so Every family has a plan. They know, like you know, here is where our other family's members live, who right. can take us in. So, as children, they grow up. This is gonna happen. Here is what we do to take care of ourselves. So th- it's part of the culture there. But um, they they put um, they start moving people to shelters mm. that are in vulnerable areas. Uh, fam- family and friends go to other family and friends. So and then. They have the what's called the civil defense system, um, which the president of the country is control of it, and it's a, just a very tightly organized top-down system, where um, they evacuate, they prepare, they get their mm. shelters, they get you know the hospitals ready, and so that's an island, and yeah. that's and they were in a position to spare 750 doctors, yeah, to. Dispense them to other places, you know. After taking care of their own, the other thing is that they're doing is in their rebuilding because tourism is such a huge part of yeah. their economy. This is a poor island. Yeah, this is not the United States. No, and they've been
1: cut off because of communism for a long time. They've been struggling, and that all they have is tourism and very little trade. Right,
2: and so, um, so they are have put a focus as a country on rebuilding the tourist areas first. To get tourism back into the country. Right. So this is, you know, it's a systematic approach where their first and foremost emphasis is saving lives. Yeah. The second is to get the country up and running, obviously financially.
1: Yeah, so so much that we could learn from the the systematic and the infrastructure you know lessons that they like you say there. I think that's that's such a great point. It reminds me of that again that clip from Newsroom with Jeff Daniels when they said America, we're not number one. Uh, you know, we're we're not probably we may not be number one in 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 hurricane preparedness. So we should probably learn from somebody who is, and maybe Cuba is. I don't know, but it sounds like they're kicking butt in a lot of things. So well, there's something for us to learn. Well, whether
2: Cuba is number one or not, but you can learn from number one, two, three, four, and five. I mean, there's. So many good lessons out there to learn. And I think that's where we come back to the topic of, uh, you know, is climate change real or not? By denying it, we... Do not get the advantage of learning and therefore preparing because what the climate deniers want to do is just say, oh, it's just an act of God. Nothing new to see here. Nothing to do. Everyone go on. Carry on as usual. Yeah. And that's what gets people and economies into trouble is not adapting to change. Yeah. Of course, the same deniers probably don't believe in Darwinism either. So, and you don't go. want to piss
1: off Stevie Wonder either, because he was. Uh... We've
0: come together today <laughs> to love on the people that have been devastated by the hurricane.
1: This is the telethon last night.
0: When love goes into action, it prefaces no color of skin, That's right. no ethnicity, no religious beliefs, no sexual preferences and no political persuasions it just loves as we should begin to love and value our planet and anyone who believes that there is no such thing as global warming must be blind or
1: unintelligent <laughs> <laughs> there's something about blind. a blind man <laughs> calling other people blind that just kills me thank you Stevie Wonder <laughs> when we come back we're going to get into the chainsaw with, with none and then racism and other stuff we return to Jeff's world This is the Mind Expanding Experience, known as Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stine, Eric Farriston, Jeff Hendricks out to healing, and uh, Juan Velasquez is uh, producing the show, This is always nice. And we're talking about Irma, but we also—correction, you know, well, quick yeah, update I information.
2: Well, yeah, just to say, so— um it's it's Rosie Greer who sings the song. It's alright to cry.
1: Oh, big Rosie Greer, big bad yes! black football awesome dude.
2: Right. And so it's like <laughs> the, 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 you know him singing that song, right? NFL football player, former NFL football player and giving, you know, kids permission to cry, meant to yeah. cry. But anyway, the last line of the song he says it's all right to cry, little boy. I know some big boys who cry too, and it's the sweetest
1: <laughs> melted <thing> you ever.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, I love you, Rosie
2: Greer. Thank you for that. You you changed my life, and I've passed that album on to my two little boys. They've grown up on Aww. it. And so the love continues, as Stevie Wonder was just talking about. Yeah, and
1: that was part of that uh, telethon hand-in-hand, hand, hand a benefit for hurricane relief. It was originally kind of started for Houston, but of course now it's broadened for everyone, all the different hurricanes. Uh, another couple of fun facts about Hurricane Irma. By the way, you probably saw this, is it broke a whole bunch of records. One of the records it broke was the longest amount of time sustained at, at, at over 185 mile-power winds. The previous record was 13 hours of continuous—this is out of the ocean, of course, 185-mile-per-hour winds. And Irma did it for 37 hours. Wow. And that's part of the thing about why St. John—U.S. Virgin Islands, by the way. Those are our territories. Those are our people. Those are our citizens. They, uh, they, I remember watching this reporter who was stayed on the island and was in a c- cement building— but she said it was so terrifying. It sounded like a jet engine blowing on the house for 37 hours wow. of 185. 185- and you just don't even know how the building stays the up.
2: Wind power. It's
1: so powerful. You know, you can't go outside because you would literally be blown down the street, down the whatever. I mean, you would be blown to death almost at 180. Well, six, yes, miles and you wouldn't hour. want
2: to open up your door because that would blow your roof off.
1: It'd blow your roof off, right? Exactly. You know, you're flirting. and then and the uh, and of course the debris would kill you if you didn't. Absolutely. The wind yeah. didn't knock you into something. The debris would kill you. Uh, other things about that—the um, so many great little stories. Well, that, I've got
2: another fact oh, for you. Um, when so, um, Jacksonville had its worst flooding since 1864. Wow! Yeah. Mm. So, Jacksonville is up in northern Florida. So, that's very close, you know, up to the border there. So,
1: it's funny because I, I have some friends who still are kind of like, you know, climate change is okay, there's climate change, but it's not really man made. And they get irritated when we mention records. And it's funny because it, f- folks, when we're still trying to convince people, we can't help but want to say, but look, this is the biggest ever. You know, and the other meme that went around remember this movie, The Day After Tomorrow? Yes. Right?
2: I watched it as a child. I am that's still. Not good. You did Steven Spielberg. <laughs> no, produce? no, no, no,
1: no. That's the that's the nuclear holocaust. Yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, that's what the I was day after of. tomorrow is the one. That's the uh, the,
2: the uh, nuclear holocaust the, one was the, the day uh, after.
1: <gasps> yeah, the day after. Oh god. <gasps> yeah, was so that was scary. horrible. Okay, yes. I'm sorry. Go back to the other one. The other one was. Uh, <laughs> It was equally scary. It was about a climate event. It was about uh, uh, climate change gone wild okay, and I you had ice it. you know, age followed by hurricanes. And one of the reasons it was brought back up, because in it, you, they showed the satellite view of three hurricanes in a row as being this anomalous, how could that possibly happen? Right. Three hurricanes, back-to-back, category five, four and fives. Yeah, we're there. So that was a pretty big, you know, Isn't uh, hair it turner. scary
2: when you look at like film predicting and TV, it. And, uh, like look at the handmaiden's tale right. and
1: just oh the, the, the predictions of yeah Speak
2: up now, people, speak up now. That's the lesson <laughs> from the handmaiden's tale. <laughs> <It's a laughs> and from the day after tomorrow. Uh, yes, we have to adjust yeah. the some of the things that we are doing. And it's not it's not that, you know. Uh, let's see, the people who believe, or the scientists who tell us about climate change, it's not like they want, like, okay, let's all return to, like, picking berries. It's not their
1: <laughs> goal. <laughs> It'll all go vegan. We'll have to go vegan now because of climate change. It's but like, no, that's not going to happen. But there
2: are things that we need to change.
1: Yeah. Well, gonna, the good that news is—, is
2: contributing. To the worsening of these natural disasters, right. that if we don't change them, I mean the planet will be fine. It's just the people won't.
1: Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, and and so you know the good news is is we're starting to. And the good news also is that this is turning into a weird little new gold rush. This is a booster in the economy because green energy has been one of the fastest growing sectors. No surprise there. And in the years that come. There will be a whole economy in the way Erica just described, where places like Miami say, "Well, you know, when you build this building, you're going to have to add, you're going to have to make it on the second story." In New Orleans, they build a lot of buildings that are on stilts and two stories, and put only the garage in the in the ground level, and everybody lives on the second level and above. So that will actually spur the economy along. If you're listening, conservatives, if you are, if that's your emphasis. But, yeah, we're going to respond. You know, This is a temporary moment. Absolutely,
2: Nobody... but also why it's important to, I mean, there are things that we can do to, to help, to ease, yeah. to overcome some things. But there are also things, you know, we're seeing droughts in other parts of the world where lakes are drying up and wars are being fought over water. I mean, yeah. we have to preserve natural resources that we have now like we can't continue to afford to have lakes and rivers drying up
1: yeah yeah that's right so and we will and we are and again there's a lot of great Humanity stories that have come out of Irva and, and Houston. Uh, I love that story if you' probably saw it of the the woman who was trying to buy a generator and there weren't none left and because her father's oxygen supply oh. and needed a generator and this random guy just go he, he had bought one and he went back home and got it and gave it to her. Wow, you know, and there's a little, st- and then the nun with the chainsaw. Google it. I
2: hope, I hope she <laughs> let him put his food in her. Refrigerator. Right, right,
1: right. I mean, I'm sure they, 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 people come together like that, though. But uh, do yourself. Google the nun and the chainsaw. It's just kind of funny because she's in her full habit, out there cutting trees. It's not just like she's in her jeans. No, she's in her full habit. <laughs> cutting well, this is trees what my off the road.
2: uncle and dad are saying. Like trees are down everywhere. My dad had a huge oak tree. Yeah, just it's it fell down. It's it's on a power line. It's causing all kinds of problems. My uncle's neighbor, huge oak tree, got uh ripped, you know, out from its roots, and when it did, the roots were underneath the guy's garage, lifted up the garage, tree fell back down, smashed the roof of the garage. He can't get his cars out. I mean, so there's just trees. We need more nuns with chainsaws down there, this is what is- I'm saying.
0: <laughs> so I know all the
2: electricians have gone to Houston But any nuns with chainsaws, come on down to Florida because we need you to help cut up those trees, get them off the roadways. They're blocking (laughs) roadways.
0: Yeah. Get
2: them off the power lines. <laughs> That's the call to action.
1: Otherwise, Stevie Wonder will remind you your error of your ways. Uh, and he's blind and still knows the difference. He can still see the difference. All right. So uh, coming up, uh, some new stuff on Charlottesville and a reprimand from Miss Texas to the president when we return to Jeff's World. At home, this is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Farisson and uh, Juan Velasquez uh, taking care of the show for us. And God, there's just so much. You know, it's funny. The, the one thing that was nice about Irma <laughs> was it kind of quieted the crazy politics for a, a little, just a little while. Everybody kind of calmed down for a minute and and got together. And the and the news was constant coverage of that of weather reporters and being blown all over the streets, which is the standard tradition, the annual tradition of the hurricane tradition of being blown around the streets. Um, But a little piece happened uh, there was a, a, you know, a Miss America pageant. Miss America contestant who apparently was won by Miss. It was won by Miss South Dakota, or North Dakota. Or I'm sorry, I forgot which one. I apologize to the New Dakotans, but uh, which no, never has a North or South Dakota Miss ever won the pageant. So apparently, that's a big deal too, uh, for whatever that's worth to you. But uh, the other thing that happened, let me see if I can find it here, is that uh, oh yes, Miss Texas uh, was asked a question about Charlottesville. And her response was pretty amazing.
0: The next question will go to Miss Texas. Last month, a demonstration of neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK in Charlottesville, Virginia, turned violent and a counter-protester was killed. The president said there was shared blame with, quote, very fine people on both sides. Were there Tell me yes or no and explain. Miss Texas. I
2: think that the white
0: supremacist issue, it was very obvious that it was a terrorist attack. And I think that President Donald Trump should have made a statement earlier (sighs) addressing the fact and making sure all Americans feel safe in this country. That is the number one issue right now. Oops! Oh looks, my gosh,
2: that's Miss Texas. Miss
1: Texas, I she is so sassy. I love her. I know. Teos.
2: I mean, talk about speaking the truth. She said a terrorist act, and that's exactly yes. what that was. That was an act of terrorism.
1: Yes, Miss, uh, Even
2: the media has not doesn't even call it what it is. They, they call the it an accident.
1: It yeah, sounds good. The main, CNN,
2: <laughs> MSNBC.
1: Until but they, this um, young
2: lady, Miss Texas?
1: Margana Wood.
2: And was this in a Miss America pageant? Miss
1: America. And
2: did other contestants have to answer this question? No, or no. Or just it, her? She
1: got the question.
2: I hope she... Did she win?
1: No. Miss North Dakota or South Dakota. I can't remember which. <laughs> but she was a runner-up. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention at the top beginning five. of our show know, when you were talking. I know. You're obviously not uh, nearly girly enough to be caring about those things, I guess. Oh, my gosh. Uh, see what a democracy nerd she is? She's like, pageants? Whatever. What What did she say about Trump? What? What? <laughs>
2: Well thank you, Miss Texas. <laughs> no
1: kidding. It was a pretty res- unequivocal response and she and you know what.
2: You know what, Miss pageants- Texas? You go run for office now. Right? That's you don't need to be in any more beauty pageants. I mean, no judgment if you want to, but you are strong and smart. Get out there and run for office. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I mentioned this because my brain is falling apart, but uh, speaking of running for office, the wave's already happened. There have been six races for local state houses, and they've been won by uh, Democrats in districts that they weren't supposed to win. Uh, The one just happened yesterday in Oklahoma and one in New Hampshire, where Trump won by 21 points, and the previous, and and, no, no, it's won by 10 points, and this guy won, the Democrat won by 21 points, and another place where the, where, where, uh, Trump won by double digits as well and another Democrat, and that's six now. So there's this slow pickup uh, because people are a little disgusted by it all, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the what Miss Mar- Texas Morgana Wood said, Congress just passed a bill urging Trump to denounce white supremacy. And saying that it was an act of terrorism, they actually put it out there. And it went. It was unanimous. I know well, there's uh, your bipartisanship I you are excited about. It calls on the president and his administration to speak out against hate groups that espouse racism, extremism, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, and white supremacy.
2: So you think he'll veto it?
1: I think he'll sign it. He, he's, he's all about being popular, uh, you know, regardless of his background of not technically, you know, saying, saying or doing bad things for folks of color he still wants to win the crowd and this is the crowd so this is what's popular so he'll go with it um i don't know maybe that's too too cynical for me <laughs> but this is the thing is this is an opportunity for trump to be the good guy uh and it's about it's running out of opportunities he's got about 10 seconds to start learning how to be a good guy and and get in with these sorts of things and you've had a couple hurricanes you've well, I had guess some drama,
2: right you, you're a good guy by doing some good things so yeah. this would be a good thing that he could do.
1: One of the good things he's probably going to have to do is not take the flood insurance. Did you read this one?
2: I did not. Oh, boy. So this is
1: a good time. Uh, there's a law enacted, a little a federal Flood fund that came out in probably 1961, I believe, is when it started. And when this fund came out, um, it was designed to help people who had uh, lived in areas that there was just no way they could afford flood insurance. Right? It was just high-risk areas. But over the years, it evolved into, and, and several congresses and presidents have tried to let it expire because what it has come into, it's become a a a fund. For rich people with beach properties in Florida, right, and that's all it helps anymore. Mm-hmm. And oh, surprise! Donald Trump is like a Rush signal- who left even though he said the hurricanes were, you know, over in his private jet. In his private jet. So, he
2: said the hurricane was uh, made up by the media, right? He's
1: exaggerated by the media, right? By but the he
2: yeah. he evacuated. Yeah, he his did mansion evacuate. in Palm Beach. He did with his pri- and his private jet. But it was you know it was fake news. But he's a man of the people. He Go is, ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, we're not going to try to instill any kind of you know that quality in him. So anyway, the uh, this flood insurance Donald Trump's property in Mar a Lago is a signatory. I don't know if that's the right word of it, and. He, it was set to expire in March. Well, guess what little executive order he did? He re-upped. That federal flush, slush fund for rich people's flood yes. properties. And I don't think they so, call
2: it a slush fund when it benefits the rich,
1: <laughs> right? When it's, it's just
2: a slush fund when it's you know helping like poor or working class Americans. <laughs> right. But anyway, go it's ahead. A,
1: yeah, it's welfare if it's poor people. It's incentives if it's welfare for corporations, right? Yes. Is that the is that They're the just better word?
2: Incentivizing. For
1: it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, anyway, he's on this insurance and he could get, and before he actually claimed it once before to the tune of like $13 million. And when they tried to ask him to give all the damage, he couldn't even present damage. He couldn't even come—executive Brian here knows this story—when he got, like, $13 million for flood payments, and he did, couldn't prove the damage. And so there was a dispute. I don't know what the final outcome of the dispute was, but they were with, the government was trying to withhold the money from him because he didn't seem to have any actual damage but still wanted his $13 million. So he's up for that again, and he re-upped it in March to kept it active. So and he's so,
2: taking advantage of that welfare System. He could.
1: He may get a big check or not. Apparently, the program is, uh, is upside down and in debt, so he may not get a check anyway. But here's an opportunity for Donald Trump to rise to the occasion and say, hey, I'm not going to accept that money. That's ridiculous. You know? Well,
2: he's the one asking for it. <laughs> Stop asking it. for it.
1: <laughs> it. I
2: mean, to to have no—you're supposed to have damage. Yeah. <laughs> And he doesn't have any that he can prove. At
1: least not in that last one. I mean, we'll see if he and has legitimate damage much less $13 million dollars
2: worth of damage. Right?
1: I mean, it's just icky, icky, but, icky. But, you
2: know, the people on that little island you were talking about.
1: Yeah, something who, lo- lo- right? who lost
2: <laughs> their homes. There's nothing for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ch- Chokolowski. I love names down there that you guys have. All these Indian names crack me up. Chokoloski. Uh, so, anyway, back in Charlottesville, Miss Texas says, calls it out. And uh, it's still an issue. One of the things that uh, Story Erica came across was in Claremont, New Hampshire. Uh, a yeah, An eight-year-old boy was, he was a biracial boy, and he was attacked by a group of young teenagers, they said. So we assume 13, 14 years old. So he's right?
2: a young black boy who was uh, lynched by a group of, Fourteen-year-old white boys. This and
1: they screamed racial epithets and racial slurs, and he's yeah. an
2: eight-year-old yeah. black boy. And these gang of fourteen-year-old white kids started uh, throwing rocks and sticks at his legs, yeah. uh, yelling, you know, racial slurs, like you said. And then they found a rope and they put it around his neck and they lynched him.
1: They pushed him off the picnic table with a rope. He yeah. swung
2: back and forth three times before this eight-year-old boy got himself out of the noose. Yeah. And none of those kids, none of those teenagers helped him.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a horrible picture to see the scars on his neck. Uh, this he had, had to
2: be flown on a helicopter to where was it? D- uh Dartmouth yeah, somewhere Dartmouth, yeah. To get uh help.
1: Yeah. And one of the reasons why this is a story that caught Erica's attention too is because it didn't merely make the news and the police are kind of suppressing it. I'm trying no, to No no not kind of. Like this happened
2: but, what, back in August yeah, twenty August
1: eighth. Yeah.
2: And so the only reason why it got out at all is because the mother put a Facebook post Kendra Colburn,
1: the mother, says, uh, or Stafford, Stafford, a member of the Upper Valley chapter of showing up for racial justice, I am upset and saddened and angered about how the police and city officials have chosen to play this. They all seem like they don't want media attention on this story, and I am concerned about that. I'm really concerned that we can't change what we don't know about or refuse to look at. Their argument was there was crime of juveniles involving juveniles and the standard procedures to It confidential. And he, the, the uh, Ch- Ch- Claremont Police Chief Mark Chase said, "Mistakes they make as young as a young child should not have to follow them for the rest of their life." It was an unfortunate incident between some juveniles. Folks should have confidence in law enforcement and investigation. So, you know.
2: Well, here's what I want to say about that. You know. First of all, here's where he's conflating two things. Yes, the identities should be withheld because they are minors. But that doesn't prevent the police department from making a statement about it. So so one is not part of the other. Number two, you know, I, I do think that the identity of minors, you know, should be held confidential and that every resource should be given to minors who commit even egregious crimes like this, the absolute whatever it is, psychological uh, sociological, uh, whatever support they need because clearly something has gone wrong right. with with these young people. and we do want to rehabilitate them and get them the help that they need to become uh, you know, upstanding citizens. Of our country, but the thing is, I just want you to imagine if it was a group of fourteen-year-old black teenagers <laughs> and a white eight-year-old boy, that would have been yeah. as reported as much as Rachel Maddow reports on Russia on MSNBC, yeah. and the identities probably, you know, I I I don't think that they would have been treated the same way.
1: Yeah. You make such an excellent point and you segwayed it perfectly because we're going to get to Russia here in a second, because as part of that whole, uh, you know, this 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 Russian invasion into our social media, they pumped up stories like that. And it turns out that they were also Russians were also coordinating events. This just broke in the news. In places like Idaho, anti-immigrant, openly racist, white nationalist events that were scheduled, paid for, and organized by Russian troll machines, basically. They sit in these rooms and put these things together and then got humans to show up Mm -hmm. at this stuff. I cannot exaggerate enough. I've said this before on the I show. I saw
2: that one and it was and they had right. names like Secured Borders.
1: Right. And and it's funny this Freedom First, or I whatever there. Right? Yeah. Daily Beast covered this if you want to see that. We'll put it on the Facebook page so you can see it as well. But they covered it and they came with these great names like that. Yeah, come out and just be one of us. And of course they create the whole bot. They create the false identities. They create accounts of people so you go, oh, that guy looks like me. He's from the same town in Idaho. No, he's not. He's not a real person. Right, uh, you know, and 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 I say that on piggybacking on what you said is if there was a, a white black thing that was reversed, the Russians would have picked it up to create more racial tension. Bring it on, you know, because they know that that's how you disturb it. You know, Clint Watts, the former FBI agent, you've seen him all over at MSNBC. He's a, he's made a real ever since he got fired by the uh, Trump administration because they got rid of everybody mostly. He um, just had been talking, telling some truth. He says this is the next step, referring to Russia, Russia's influence. The objective of influence is to create behavior. Behavior change. The simplest behavior is to have someone disseminate propaganda that Rush, Russia created and, and ceded. The second part of behavior influence is when you can get people to physically do something, mm-hmm. and they did. And they're also finding about how much that Facebook has been receiving and so when we come back i want to talk about facebook's culpability i want to ask you what you think about that because this is a you know this is the squishy part how do do we make the private company you know be responsible and stuff so all right that russia and the new doj findings on that and wiretapping when we return to this show where possibility and politics happen this is jeff's world Jeff's World, the show that's all about uh, politics and possibility and uh, soul searching. Because you know, we don't want to just talk about politics and just be angry about it. This is not uh, yeah. Revenge Radio.
2: Uh, <laughs> we got to find some answers I, yeah. within ourselves.
1: Try trying to find some relief. Uh, so, and obviously in relief, then you have clarity. When you have clarity, you can be a part of the solution instead of the problem. It's really that simple. And that includes uh, <laughs> with Russia and all these things that are going on. It's it, Facebook. This is the great debate, and I and I'd like to have it a little bit right now. That what we know about is that that there was at least a one hundred thousand dollar ad buy, which is not big in terms of ad buys, like compared to McDonald's or something, right? But they said that that, that Russians with this ad buy. Did about 3,000 ads or something uh, over the course of this ad buy and other buys. And they reached between 23 and 70 million people. And if you've ever advertised on Facebook, which I have, you can target very specifically. And so it's one thing if you just said, oh, there's 330 million people in America and we're just going to target them and see which 23 million we get. No, no, no. You can hit all of those little districts and little areas that that are on the tipping point that haven't heard quite enough awful things about Hillary Clinton and quite enough good things about Donald Trump to put him over the top. And away you go. And I tell you.
2: And also, too, it's like all social media. Right. If they target the people who are going to be receptive to their messages or, or their message, that person is going to share it yeah, and share it and share it and share it and share it.
1: But yeah. And then they get the bots and the fake Facebook uh, profiles to share it as well, so that it adds to the numbers. Part And they created the fake events. And of course, they're smart. You know, they create a fake event and then promote it amongst people who would be receptive and willing.
2: Wait, you're not saying the Russians are smarter than Americans, are you?
1: I'm not saying they're smarter, but they are as... like. Well, you're saying they were... We've just really smart, and a lot of smart. Americans
2: didn't see through this.
1: That's correct. They're, they were—I uh, will give the benefit of the unsmart American being unsuspecting. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't the
2: unsuspecting,
1: unsuspecting, and so they go to the, the website. You go, oh look, there's this event for a uh, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim rally in Idaho, uh, in my hometown, and then you click on. It, you go, oh look, 500 people are going. 500 people aren't going. But they just make it. That's, they they even pad But anybody
2: it. who wants to go to an event like that is got some issues. Well,
1: obviously, you're appealing to a person who, is, who is, has a penchant for that already, right? They're already they're already inclined to be racist. But there's something very powerful about giving them actionability, right? And putting them together and getting them out an event from all the way from Moscow.
2: Well, they've gone from a virtual reality to a physical world reality. Yeah.
1: And so the debate is, is what is Facebook's responsibility? Now, to give you a little bit of history, when this started to first break, you know, when it was clear, during, while Obama was still in office, that the Russians were tampering with our election through social media, Facebook was like, no, that's impossible. It's not us. There's no way. And now they've had to be forced into saying, well, okay, so this, was, this happened and there was a little bit of this, but, 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 but I'm sure it didn't affect the election. And it's like, guys, you know, here's here's my, and tell me if I'm wrong on this one, but here's my appeal to Mark Zuckerberg. Because I always like to have the fantasy conversation. What would I say to Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> I would say, look, man, you seem to, to, to see Facebook as a great, not only business, but as a tool of humanity. You see it as something that brings people together and is for the good and betterment of mankind and womankind. And if you believe that, then you... The best thing you can do for humanity, in the same way with the racial story of the eight-year-old boy, is to acknowledge, because if you are acknowledged to all of us that we were taken, we will learn not to be taken. But if we believe that— and stop
2: taking— Right? Stop putting up racist, destructive well, they are things doing that. on your— Great humanitarian tool. True,
1: they have been responding, and I've been relatively impressed with the way they're trying to do these policing of fake news. If something is obviously fake, they're you know checking it with their algorithms. I mean, because most of their algorithms were designed to help their own business, of course, you know to pro- promote their ability to profit and monetize what they do. No, no. but. Now there's been the
2: great humanitarian causes,
1: but now actually there has been a concerted effort, according to what I read in the you know the technological periodicals, uh, is that um, they're trying to figure out how to. F- control the flow of, of information on people's feeds to make it a little more verifiable, a little more accurate, uh, which is a tricky one because some people want it to be. They don't care if it's real, right? They just if something's bad about Hillary, you know, they'll take it. You know. <laughs>
2: Did they return the money?
1: Uh, I no, I don't know. They wouldn't. I, I don't need them to return the money. Take the Russians' money. See, but, I uh, just
2: think that that the hundred thousand that's reported, I, there's got way more than that. I think that there's what? way more than that. Yeah, and what would, would I? Am concerned about is really none of these brilliant higher ups at Facebook had any idea, like that they were all duped and just put this. I mean, I I think they.
1: I think they. I would think it's more likely they figured it out and then went, let's keep it quiet.
2: That's right.
1: Right. Sort
2: of like Equifax. Yep. They knew months ahead of time that Mm. there had been a breach. The higher ups sold their stocks. Yeah. And then they were forced to admit, and they profited off of this. Yeah.
1: And that's not the only part of it. The story continues to unfold, of course. If you uh, if you watch the news carefully, uh, man, they're coming out with things. In fact, the, the latest one, I'll play a little clip of uh, uh, Rachel Maddow because she was talking to David Korn who's putting together an expose on, with Michael Isikoff. You'll know those names, look them up. But Felix Sater, the guy who uh, was uh, Donald Trump's point man to build Moscow Trump Tower in the middle of the campaign when he was lying about it. This is kind of what was uh, going down at that time.
0: Donald Trump has lied about knowing Felix Sater in the past, or at least he has uh, suggested that he's had no recollection of him, tried to distance himself from him in the past. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this time is more important? I think this is the most important time. In December 2015, Donald Trump is the front runner for the Republican presidential nomination. That might be as surprising to him as as it was to a lot of political observers at the time. He's asked about Felix Sater by the AP reporter. And he says, I don't know him, never heard of him. Now, at the same time, as we now know, but we didn't know back then, Felix Sater was brokering a deal for him to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. For 30 years, literally 30 years, Donald Trump has tried to do business in Moscow. Many times he got close, but it never got over the finish line. He never got that Trump Tower in Moscow built. So here he was, in the middle of a deal that would have given him $4 million up front into his own pocket, dealing with Russia, and what did he need to make this deal happen? The permission of the Russian government, who's the head of the Russian government. Vladimir Putin, who is Donald Trump saying oddly positive things about throughout the campaign, (laughs) Vladimir Putin. So to acknowledge Felix Sater in December 2015, would in essence be acknowledging that he was in the middle of this deal when he was running for president, when he was telling the American public that he was going to put America first, American interests over everything else, when actually he was in no position to criticize Vladimir Putin because he and his organization were asking Putin for help to build the project. This is, in some ways, the most massive conflict of interest that we've ever seen in a modern presidential campaign, and I think this is why this is one of the most consequential deceptions of the Trump campaign. Imagine what would have happened in December 2015. He said, oh, yeah, I know Felix Sater. He's brokering a deal for me right this very moment with Russia, and I need Vladimir Putin on my side to make it happen. What do you think would have happened to Donald Trump's presidential prospects right then and there? He had to deny, knowing Sater, he had to deny this deal. He kept this deal a secret. He hid this deal from the American public. Boom.
1: And... That's just it's funny because these little things come by come by all the day and another one too is Michael Flynn apparently failed to disclose a Russian Saudi nuke deal that he was making that Oops. was going to make him a few million dollars And he flew to Egypt in June of 2015 on behalf of Exco Iron Bridge and his mission was to see if uh, you know Egypt and Jerusalem could get a joint U S Russian plan to control over Arabs uh, nuclear power. And it's like working with Russians. It is so obvious, it is so clear. No historical event in our American history is gonna be as big of a crime to our democracy than this Russian collusion, laundering, financial intertwining of Donald Trump. You will see, nothing will compare to this. This is the biggest crime in American history ever, ever. Uh, But again, people are on it, they're watching. It will not go unpunished. I can promise you that. Stand back, broad view, pull up a chair, grab your popcorn. This is going to be epic. So when we come back, uh, we're going to do something uh, really good news about education and income when we return to Jess World. This is Jeff's World, a place where we look at this uh, great experiment called America and leave it better than we found it. I'm Jeff Stein with uh, Erica Ferriston, and thank you for listening. As always, I love this world and I love talking about it, and uh, I love the feedback as well we get on Facebook and Twitter and all that fun stuff. Jeff's World show, (laughs) even the angry stuff is super interesting to me. (laughs) There was a great uh, rant by one of our uh, listeners uh, because I think Hendrik put up a clip that said uh, the it was showing a. Protest sign. The protest sign. The only minority destroying America is the rich, mm-hmm. right? Wow. And, and uh, which is right. You you hear that and go, oh my gosh, right? Now I have some problems with the sign uh, because I don't think it's as specific as it needs to be in order to make it clear. But uh, you know, th- one of our listeners kind of went on a little nice rant and said, "Yeah, evil capitalist pigs, burn in hell, and take all that job creating capital with you." And while you're at it, take the sixty six percent of all taxes you pay too. We don't need any defense budget entitlements or to pay debt on other countries that gave us loans. We hate you. Obviously, He's being i'm
2: totally agree with him on yeah. the capitalist. <laughs> well, he
1: but he's sapphire. wrong they
2: don't pay on paper they might pay 60 percent. you know go look at exxon mobil yeah go go see what they've paid in taxes it's yeah. less than a school teacher go see what they've received in subsidies you know who pays for walmart's parking lots yeah taxpayers
1: so but anyway, no, yeah. it was great. And it, it was exactly it. And then it had this nice little discussion where it was like, you know, again, I think the reminder is not to take it personally because, uh, you know, it, he probably felt a little bit like, hey, you're attacking rich people and I'm trying to be a businessman and make a lot of money and, and, and help people and employ people and you're saying the only minority destroying America is the rich and, and I agree with that in the sense that obviously it's it's a it's a protest sign and it's a blunt tool of of shock but I would have preferred it said something is like Is your
2: friend in the top
1: 1%? I don't know but or uh, It could be It could be <laughs> It could be It uh, certainly could be uh, but I would have put greedy obviously the greedy rich or the corrupt rich uh, you know Qualify because obviously not all rich people are bad that's that's something we don't want to perpetuate and it's really the a-hole rich people that and and i explained to him i said you know it's like the reason people get upset about rich people it's not it's not you as a rich person it's the fact that there's too many folks with a lot of money who use that money to make the rules rigged for them
2: right that's the main problem exactly
1: it's just the rule rigging that's what gets people upset and so that's but but it's led to some very interesting things um because the Trumpers like to take credit for this economy, and I was going a <laughs> kick out of that. Because uh, the median,
2: yes, in the six in the few months that Trump has been in, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah, it's all t- turned around and accredited to those few months.
1: I love it too because the U.S. Census Bureau just showed that we actually have a, a new high on median household median household income in America. It's, it was last year was it was it's now. I mean, it's now up to uh, fifty nine thousand, I guess. Uh, so uh which is Good. This is much higher. It's still not good for different races. Uh, it's sixty-five thousand for whites, eighty-one thousand for Asians. Interesting. And then uh, African Americans had thirty-nine thousand. So it's still disproportionate to different groups. But up, which is nice. But and when they came out with the report, the first thing the the report writer, the president, the Financial Insight says, "This is a really great report card on what the Obama administration accomplished. Hopefully, the new administration will continue to improve upon it." and keep this motor running. Cuz again, this is the oldest thing in politics, but if you are every president knows this, the first year you're basically running on the economy for certainly the first 6 months, you're running on the economy of the previous president. Right. Including Barack Obama who got the economy of 2008 from George W. Bush, which A disaster. was an absolute total disaster. So, but apparently that was his fault too. Uh, another they did another study well, about wasn't
2: it Obama's fault for golfing while Katrina was happening? Exactly. <laughs> oh, but he wasn't president at that's the time.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was his fault. You saw that survey. That still a majority of r- Republicans think that not a majority, a plurality of Republicans think that uh, Obama is re- the that, was the fault of Katrina.
2: That's your what is your what, do you what call aboutism? What aboutism? Yeah.
1: What aboutism? What about him? He's worse. He
2: w- he was golfing during Katrina. Um, he wasn't president. Yeah. Doesn't matter.
1: So one of the funny things they've been studying is the idea of the basic income. And they're playing with this in Europe, too. Because of poverty and what have you, the idea of a basic income instead of a welfare is that at minimum you get, one of the studies here is $1,000 a month. Period. Just for being a citizen. And, of course... Obviously, conservatives go, that's horrible. It will incentivize people to be lazy, lazy, lazy. But they keep doing studies on it, and the dabblings that they've been doing in, in European countries have found that it doesn't. I mean, obviously, if the number is high, it'll make people lazy. <laughs> but if the number is low, like $1,000 a month, which in this day and age isn't much, it's not going to pay a lot of bills, they found that uh, that it would add about $2.5 trillion to the U.S. economy if you gave everybody $1,000 a, t- 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 a, a month. And so meaning that it, the amount of that, and again, if you do the math, You're you're putting in a small amount and getting back a vastly a greater amount because people spend money when they have it, especially poor people spend money, right? Right, Um,
2: because you're buying necessities and yeah. You know, but you know well it's an interesting study that is there's gonna have to be more studies because as the world shifts to automation yes there aren't going to be jobs for people to work this is
1: what we talked about in about two or three shows ago uh, and I love that kind of prediction but you're right there will not there will, there won't be enough jobs for everybody we're gonna have so many services and things and property, and and you know again automation that takes care of things <laughs> we're gonna have not have enough jobs especially since the only jobs that are left are really pretty intense high-tech ones you know so it's going to be a fascinating new paradigm. We're going to have to figure out how people still live and and survive. And it's not going to be enough to everyone. You can't go be a, a server at a restaurant. It's not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be enough restaurants, too, because of that. So... Um, other things I want to hit, I guess we're already into the lightning round a little bit. We're going to have to save some of the stories I till until next week. But um, <laughs> this is for fun, Game of Thrones. You saw Taylor Swift, right, had her brand new song. And somebody uh, did an editing genius uh, of her song with Game of Thrones clips. I don't
0: like your little games. Don't like your no, tilted stage the Role, you make me play for the fool No, I don't like you I don't <laughs> like your perfect crime How you laugh when you lie You said the gun was mine Isn't cool No, I don't like you But I got smarter I, I got it whole time, time. Honey, I, I rose up, up from the dead I do it all the time I've got the list of names and yours is in red underlined. i check it once then i check it twice oh, oh look what you made me do there's the what you made
1: me do look what you just made me do look
0: what you just
1: made me and you didn't even know lannister could sing uh so that song obviously huge song they had these clip songs i'm just impressed with them i right. guess because i'm amazing. like i an old old soul on that stuff um this other story i love flying coach is so cramped, is the headline. Flying coach is so cramped it could be a death trap. Check this out. Smart people, a, a flyers advocacy group, looked into the FAA's policies on, on life and death situations and, and safety in planes. They found, first of all, that they haven't really been testing. The FAA's been a little asleep on the job. The tests uh, carried out are supposed to ensure that all passengers can safely exit a cabin in an emergency or can brace themselves in a crash, right? And they found that no coach class seat meets the Department of Transportation's own standard for the space required to make a flight attendant seat, flight attendant seat safe in emergency let alone a passenger. And neither Boeing nor the Federal Aviation Administration will disclose the evacuation test data that they've been accumulating for the new Boeing 737, which is what everybody flies. If you've ever been on a Southwest flight, mm-hmm. that's a 737. So they're launching legal action and some uh, you know, efforts to maybe force the FIA to say, guess what? Your seats are too close together for safety. Mm-hmm. And that makes me so happy because I hate airline seats. Mm -hmm. I am six foot four, and my knees on some planes don't literally fit between me and my butt and the seat in front of me. It is a pain in the butt. It's my personal problem. It's certainly a first world problem, but I know I'm not alone in that complaint. So here's hoping that they can actually force the FAA to force airlines to give us another inch just another freaking inch. That's right. all I want. It's like one.
2: <laughs> yeah, but then you'd be cutting down on the airline's profits. I know.
1: You'd have to take away three or four rows of seats, and there's the money. But you just have to charge more. It's the same thing as like, well, we don't want to raise minimum wage because it'll make burgers more expensive. All right, I'll pay for more expensive burgers if it means people can exist in a way that is, you know, more livable. All right. Another fun story. Lightning round. How much time do I got left? Oh, got a few minutes. Good. Um, Barack Obama... I love this stuff. He went into McKinley Tech School in D.C., a high school that's one of these focuses on tech, and uh, decided to just kind of surprise them. And you, you'll, this will uh, lack the video, but you'll uh, you'll get the point because you can kind of just hear it. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Oh. <laughs> They're so, losing it. So the chances
2: told me you guys were
1: meeting.
0: And,
2: I decided I was
1: gonna stop by. and he just goes in and sits down.
2: How's everybody doing? Can you imagine if you're the teacher? Oh. I'd be under so much pressure to take the good
1: right? And then he, said, and then he says the this. One of the
0: things that I did throughout my presidency was I'd meet with groups of young people everywhere I went, whether it was here in the United States or when I was traveling overseas, just to kind of
2: hear from them, find out what they're interested in. Because I do believe
1: that... Uh, most of the problems we have are going to be solved by you. Remember what I said. Yeah, and then of course he went outside and everybody freaked out. Yeah. They lost their oh, minds, of course. But I love that he said that most of the problems we have are going to be solved by you. That belief in in, in broader knowing and broader understanding. This guy is such a, a one of the most worldly guys ever. You know, he just gets it. He gets it that, that, that people matter, mm-hmm. and especially the next generation. So, anyway, that's just for me. I got to geek out on that. Uh, Well,
2: when our next generation has a savior complex, we'll know why. Because I do it too. I'm like, okay, I hope you kids are learning here uh, because you're going to have to save us.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, So, they made a list of the happiest states in America. Uh, Jan, if you want to guess, let's start all the happiest states. States. Happiest states. Uh, do you want to guess what the happiest state is? No, I right? of, right, I think
2: I know I what the happiest
1: country is. Right, <laughs> probably right. So uh, from the from number ten up, uh, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Iowa, nice happy state. South Dakota, New Jersey, uh, New Nebraska, California. Number four, we were number four, California. Hawaii, number three. Okay, uh, that surprise, should be the happiest. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Utah, number two. Not surprised. Great social. Ne- you know, the Mormons. One thing they do great is you don't worry about being suffering there mm. you know we we're talking about social safety nets the mormon church has great ones you you don't starve and you don't go without clothing and you don't go without housing if you're in the mormon certainly you know a concentrated area of mormon church utah number two number one minnesota mm. is apparently the happiest state in minnesota.
0: america
1: ready for the least happy Is the hard part all right, so go from, from number 49, or number 41 down to 50, <laughs> least happiest states. Uh, Alaska, <laughs> Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and the unhappiest city, West Virginia. Wow. Not too surprising. economics terrible there. a uh, mm-hmm. lot a lot of hope in West Virginia. So (laughs) that's pretty tough. Um, Let's see. What else? A couple other things. Uh, Melissa McCarthy won an Emmy for her Sean Spicer SNL. She is so funny. (laughs) Isn't
2: that awesome?
1: Yes. Uh, She did such a great job. And also Dave Chappelle did. He won an Emmy for when he hosted SNL.
2: He was great. Whoa.
1: I mean, whoa. If you ever see his stand-up about, his latest stand-up, about uh, Bill Cosby, as just nobody has been able to find the comedy and the truth, uh, of how that whole experience felt for us. I just remember Uh,
2: when he, um, hosted Saturday night live after the election, you know, he said things that I needed, uh, he comforted me and made me laugh at the same time and made me feel not alone. Like it was such a, depressing time and still is but
1: <laughs> right but a little bit of comfort well here's some speaking of comfort there's a product i've discovered recently i didn't know existed yet which uh, about two years ago uh well i'll just read play the commercial you're gonna kick crouching it in average jeans <laughs> Cr- crouching crouching in duluth trading ballroom jeans Ballroom.
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> duluth trading ballroom jeans the crotch gusset gives you room to crouch without singing soprano. Get a pair. Only at DuluthTrading.com.
1: There, there, I even gave it. I, they gave us nothing for that, and now I know what a crotch gusset is.
2: Quite a play on words.
1: Ballroom. Ballroom.
2: Mm,
1: okay. How did I miss that? I just love that. Ballroom jeans. That's ah, killing me. All right. Thank you for listening. So funny. She's been Erica Ferriston. Thank you, Juan, for making it all sound good. I've been Jeff Stein. And, thank uh, you, Juan. Yes. Uh, please join us again next week for Jeff's World. <coughs>
0: This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop-cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.